Do you want a cash-flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom? Sunsets and palm trees on your terms. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started with no money or credit and quickly grew a multi-million dollar portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson. And we've got a really wonderful message today. And I just really, I enjoy having different perspectives and different views how to make money in real estate. There's so many ways, guys. I'm telling you, there's just so many ways to make like real income in this space. And so our next guest is going to talk about something that is a little bit more unique. It was just a great podcast, lots of good nuggets in there and lots of discovery as well. And I think you're going to really, really like it. But before we get to that, a word from our sponsors. Hey, this is Shelly Peterson, Corey's better half. My husband shares amazing stories of the good, bad, and ugly of apartment investing. And while many of you want to do this yourselves, we have found that a lot of you would like to invest alongside with us. If that is you, I want to invite you to get on a short webinar where we discuss our deal room and how you can be a part of our private investor club. Go to kahunainvestments.com forward slash webinar and register now. You won't be disappointed. Again, go to kahunainvestments.com forward slash webinar and we look forward to sharing our private deal room with you. All right, we're back. So my good buddy, Seif with Tech Investors, he's created a way to scale short-term rentals. And he done it, he's done it in a way that makes a lot of sense. It's a very compelling asset class. And I'm super excited to share his story and his message because I think you guys will really resonate with it. So let's get to it. Hey, Seif, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, Corey. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. I am super excited about this episode because it's really a little bit different than what I would normally have on the show. And I think sometimes there's lots of ways to make money in real estate. And we're going to talk about something that you've really figured out and really captured, which I think is going to be really unique to the listeners. I think they're going to love it. But before we do that, though, can you just give a brief overview of who you are and a little bit of your story? Yeah. So I am the one of the co-founders over at a company called TechVestor. We are institutionalizing the asset class of short-term rentals. And in short, it's a syndication that you know, like, and love in multi, but it's for short-term rentals. Um, previously, uh, both myself and Sabrina, the two co-founders, we spent time in tech, both respectively building out product lines like Apple, the very first generation of AirPods. We've built teams and hired thousands of people at places like Facebook and Meta and infrastructure and growth. And we stayed in a lot of shitty Airbnbs over the years, as many of you probably have experience doing so. And we stayed in some really great ones. We became an LP in a lot of multifamily and some other commercial tech deals as well. And we asked ourselves, why couldn't someone scale short-term rentals? So we built software first as our first foray into the, into the game. And it was really well received, but it didn't solve the pain point of a lot of people. And the pain point was they didn't want to operate short-term rentals. So Sabrina and I teamed up with a team of 30 incredible people on our team today, who I think we have one of the best teams in the space, who are institutionalizing, scaling, and operating hundreds of properties across the country. And we welcome investors who are accredited to invest with us with as little as $25,000. So that's essentially the business. That's how we got here. We were users. We felt the pain. Our early investors and customers really don't want to operate this because I don't have the time, energy, know-how, and that's the pain that we're solving. Very similar to what you see in multifamily indeed. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the multifamily side is obviously there's larger scale, but then there's something to be said too. The Airbnb space is still growing. I know there's more regulation coming, right? But there's still a way to make very profitable there, especially in times like we're getting ready to experience when there's economic uncertainty, there's deals to be made in the right location. So let's kind of backpedal a little bit. I want to go into first, how do you guys find your deals and what does a good deal look like? Yeah, that's a great question. So we built software first and foremost to scrub essentially the entire country because as two techies, we could not stand doing things more than once in a manual way. So we automated a lot of it, right? So today we underwrite over 100,000 properties a month through 250 plus markets that we have an interest in buying in across the country. And really what the software allows us to do is tells us where to look. Right, Because we're market mapping, we're looking at pure data. Every investment really starts with pure data. What can I buy it for? What can I get for it? What can I yield out of it? And our software helps us understand the beginning part. And 94% of the time, the property sucks. So we don't look at it. right? And that's exactly what we want that filter to do. And then from there, our head of acquisitions and our acquisitions team will actually go in and start to window shop, for lack of a better word. Where do we want to buy? Is it in one of our existing markets where we have economies of scale? And they're going to look at real estate supply. So for us, because we are a scalable solution, we can't buy a property in a market where we only own one. It doesn't really make a lot of sense for us. We want to buy a product in a market that we can buy 40 of them. We don't have to be able to buy 40 of them tomorrow, but we want to be able to buy 40 of them in a short community. This is the market we're going to go, like, we've got capital ready to deploy, right? Correct. And we want to, like, we're going to open up this market now. Exactly, right. Get the go button. Yep. And so right now we have about 80% of our capital is between the states of like Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Florida in terms of allocation, because we've really identified the right product to buy there, right? As well as the markets themselves. In each of those markets, respectively, there is a completely different product to buy. For example, if you're in a market, uh, one of our Arizona markets, it's a four bedroom with a pool with a certain acreage lot so you can design the amenities that you want for that type of home. That same analysis is not the same in Pennsylvania. So it's hyper-local as real estate almost always is. And we've identified that and we call them golden circles internally to where, where we're buying, what we're buying, and is there enough real estate to go buy that product at a continuous scale? And if the answer is yes, we're on it and we're on it like hawks. Yep. And then you run it out on your model. Are you running it out daily, weekly, or what's the goal there? We run it out nightly. So people do indeed book weeks at a time or months at a time. That's totally welcome. They get typically get a little bit of discount for that. But we do rent them out nightly. Our average daily rate or ADR as known in the industry is usually in low season around 450 bucks a night. And in high seasons, typically going to be in that six, seven, eight hundred dollars a night, depending on the market that we're in. And we fetch more often than you'd ever think four-figure nights a lot, especially in high season and summer and holidays and those types of things. Yeah, especially in those markets like Arizona and there are certain parts, times of the year, it's super busy and everybody wants that nicer. Yep. Now, obviously, in the short-term rental space, what's the flair? What do you need to have in one of those units? Like, What does it need to look like and feel like to get what you call your perfect tenant, right? Or your perfect overnighter? Yeah, it's very different for every market, for sure. And you know, staying on the realm of like Arizona, for example, typically our avatar, as we call it, is a family. It's usually a group of eight plus people because we're typically buying four bedroom or larger homes. All of our homes are pet friendly. 
all right, and allow for those types of things because pets matter too, as our guests will tell you. And they're incredibly well amenitized, right? In Arizona, for example, every property has a hot tub, every property has a pool, every property has things like mini golf. Most of those homes have things like golf simulators and bowling and outdoor amenities that allow you to lounge by the pool, be outside with your family, with your group. It can house and sleep enough people at the dining room. So you're looking at the photos like, and you're imagining yourself having dinner there with your family. You can actually see enough. That's what you want. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. I always think I go to Hawaii a lot and um, we usually stay at a short-term rental, right? We've got one house that we like the best. Now we go with our whole family. So it's like 16 of us, right? So me and my wife and her sister and her family and maybe another family, right? But the reason we love it is they have this one dining table that's essentially just a big table with benches. Yeah. But it's like perfect because we're like, that's what we all want to do. We all want to sit down and have dinner as a family and it's got a view. And be comfortable, right? Yeah. You want to envision yourself there. We have to remind ourselves that 95% of the time in the short-term rental space, you're competing against Grandpa Bob or Mama Joe who are designing it with IKEA furniture. It's not a business. They're not operating it from a hospitality perspective. Yeah. Therefore, the opportunity to arbitrage those opportunities are very simple. You go in there and like, you know, the place we stay is like the coffee machine. It's like the top end, high end coffee. You're like, oh, dude, all right. My coffee's going to stay warm. It's like, oh, this is legit, right? And it's like just a couple little things like that that really seem to turn the needle. But that's what you want. They actually have some boogie boards, right? You're like, oh, I don't have to go find a boogie board. They have some shades. You're like, that just made my life so much easier. And then we can just enjoy the family. Because usually when you're saying you're buying the bigger stuff, that is more family focused, right? Correct. And we're driving a lot of fantastic memories. And that's the kicker right there, right? That's the key. Yeah. We get notes all the time from even people that we that sell their homes to us and they see the product we turn it in. They're like, oh my God, I have to come back with my family. I raised my kids here. Or there was a little girl named Brooklyn a couple of weeks ago. She wrote on our one of our whiteboards in Arizona. And she was like, I had a great time here with Grandpa Bob. And it was fantastic. And you could just see all the notes that they leave. And like, that's the memories that you drive for these families because they could focus on the family while they're there, right? And everything is there that they need. The experience is there, the amenities are there, the kids can run around and play. It's a fantastic primary reason for what we do. And the reason for the scale is because you still got to have now house cleaning or housekeeping essentially for these markets, right? And maintenance, right? I mean, because listen, not everybody's a perfect tenant and some things break, right? This is part of life. So that's the reason for the scale. Yeah. Yeah. We have all that infrastructure and we don't actually house all that in-house. That's actually one of our advantages where we can just scale. So when we enter a new market, we might have one cleaner or 15, depending on how many homes they need to clean, how many turns are happening, what's the occupancy in that market. But we just subcontract out. But the scale helps us drive the costs of all those things down, which inherently affects the investment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Instead of here's one property, here's seven, and I want all your attention, or here's 10, or here's 40. Exactly. <laughs> now I'm your best client. I really want to be your only client, right? Exactly. And you start getting those economies of scale, that preferred attention, the perfect cleans, the experience for the guests that shows in your bottom line. And you know this in multi because it's the same exactly. Yeah, you're controlling the controllables and then you're driving that cost down by saying, listen, here's what we're going to do. On the other end, you're doing a value for that third party because, I mean, people that work in construction, you know what they really want? They just want to stay busy. Consistency. (laughs) They just want to stay busy, get paid on time, and they really usually want to do good work. That's what I found. It's like, find the right one. They usually want to do really good work. They want to stay busy. 
And that's, I think, a big part of the service industry in general, right? Whether it's hospitality, cleaners, maintenance, construction, the service industry in itself is all about consistency, being treated well, being paid well, being paid on time, and having that level of attention. And I think we see a lot of similarities there. These are like little mini businesses when you think about it, right? Like they're little micro businesses, but it really is goes back to the hospitality piece because you are renting them by the night. Most people rent them in blocks of seven, 10 or whatever that looks like. But hospitality is the differentiator between what I do on a monthly basis with apartments, right? We're not in the hospitality business, but I still think that we need to think that way because that's what keeps that tenant. And like, listen, I've been to the same spot when I go on vacation to Hawaii probably 10 times because I love the experience. They have you coming back. <laughs> yeah. It's important. It really is. It's easy to do that. I call them up. Hey, I'm ready to come back. And they're like, oh, we'd love to have you. And it's very easy, right? Yep. And we see that in our occupancy as well, right? Like we drive typically 40 to 50% more occupancy than the comparable property in our market because people see our product. They want to stay in our product and they come back to our product. And the data behind that, is that just understand because you understand hospitality in that piece? Is that what you say your guys' biggest eye-opener for the reason for that? I think it's a part of that. But at the end of the day, when if you think about Airbnb, and I think this is where our tech perspective really helps us, all Airbnb is a product, right? And they have a user journey that they want their users to go on. And if you've ever booked on Airbnb, the experience usually goes like this. You want to go somewhere. So you go on Airbnb, you type in how many people are going, the location and the dates, and then something's going to show up, a page of properties. Just like Google, there's a ranking to properties based on an algorithm. And you're probably not going to go to page 15 on Airbnb. You're usually looking there and you're going to open up five, six, seven. Three pages. Yeah. Yeah. Five, six, seven properties in another tab based on the way that first photo looks. You haven't even looked at price yet, right? You're like, yeah, that looks good. That looks good. That looks good. That looks good. And then you're going to whittle that down to two or three properties at most, potentially share it in a group chat with the people you're going with and be like, which one should we go to? There's going to be a decision maker in that group, whether that's you or someone else. And probably it's you because you're the one who's already sent it to the group, who's going to be the one who's paying for it, inquiring about the stay, etc. And then you'll either book something or you'll inquire with a couple of hosts who gets back to you the fastest will be a thing. We'll give you the answers that you're looking for will be a thing to factor into your decision. And all of that thing that I just described takes five minutes or less. Right. But that's the product, the user journey that Airbnb wants you to go through as a user. And for us, we maximize for that. We rank highest in class. We want to be seen on those first couple pages because if you don't see us, you can't book us. Yeah. Right. Those photo quality, the amenities, they got to know about you before they know about you. Right. Exactly. Right. What amenities are you looking for in a market like Scottsdale versus Clearwater versus the Poconos? They're very different. And so if you don't design your home in that way, you're not going to be seen or cared for, right? By the type of person coming in that market. You almost have to reverse engineer the whole hack. It's like, let's go to the market. Exactly. Let's go see what the best top BNBs. Let's see how it's ranking. What do they have? Like, okay, mm -hmm. how do we plus that? Right. It's exactly what we do. And it's not rocket science. It's just a lot of work, but that's why it's passive. <laughs> Most of it's not, right? But it's work, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Takes an idea and a vision and put it all together. To me, that's amazing. I think I love that idea. Just another way to make money in real estate. There's so many ways to do it, right? Now, let's talk about this piece too. I would love to talk about capital money because you're doing this with essentially created a fund, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep, exactly. So where did you start? The fun start first, or was it kind of like we did it once or teasies and you're like, no, what, let's scale it? 
or yeah so the story is when we started the software company um our product was essentially we'll help you find your property and then we'll manage it for you right like on a one-off so someone like corey calls us up and says hey our minimum at the time was a quarter million okay i got a quarter million i want to buy a vacation rental and i might use it from time to time but i want you guys to find it for me design it manage etc and we got about six or seven people to do that pretty quickly and as we were collecting feedback we were getting them on a zoom and everyone was enamored by everyone else's property almost like the grass is greener on the other side they were like damn corey i wish i had that one or bob i wish i had that one and they were describing a portfolio and they were describing a syndication they just didn't know it right they were all like i want a piece of that but i still don't want to do any of the work so anyway we asked them hey what if we rolled all this into a portfolio we'll continue to manage it Right, everyone's pro rata based on the amount of capital that they put in. Here's what the terms would look like, and how do you feel about that? And it was an overwhelming yes. Then we pivoted our model in the market to go do that, and then in the next thirty days, we raised seven million bucks. Beautiful. So we were like, clearly, we hit a nerve. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? no, exactly. And what's great about that is, and did you guys five hundred six C offering? I'm assuming, right? Yeah, everything yep. we do today is a five hundred six C. Yep. Yep. So you can go market and you can advertise the crap out of it. Right. But it's also something that's not in the marketplace. Right. So like yep. everybody's talking about multifamily. Right. No one's talking about what you're doing. Right. I mean, very few, but there's lots of people that love that idea because we are now staying in Airbnbs more. I mean, we use short term rentals all the time as Americans. Right. Like, yeah. Three times usage over the last decade. Right. We traveled to London. Right. We're like, stay at a hotel. No. Stay at this cool spot that had this loft. And we're like, that's what we did. And it was amazing. It's definitely the experience is very much night and day. And it's a $150 billion industry. Half of that happens right here in the States. And happens more every day than you'd ever think. We're almost always over-occupied compared to market. And you know, that first $7 million was just a... We thought it was incredible, right? Because that was a big surprise very quickly. But our first year, we went on to raise $37 million. And that really gave us a lot of confidence. Plus it a little bit, right? Yeah. It was less than a little bit. And you're like, wow, you know, people really understand what we're doing. Also, compared to multi, I think short-term rentals are sexier, right? There's utility. Our investors can actually stay in them. And I think the biggest thing that we've seen is people can relate to it. Most passive investors can't really relate to owning a 300-unit apartment building. There's a lot of education. And I know you do a great job of explaining that. But someone can very much understand why someone would go to this Airbnb and how someone can own it and why someone's not thinking of it as a business. So they're like, ah, that makes a lot of common sense logic to me. And therefore, I get why you do what you do. Yeah. I got a great question. I'm just thinking about this because I'm just interested, right? So, well, $37 million is probably hard to do this. But like, is there any rights that you can stay a certain amount of time at any of these assets? Or like, how did you set that up? Or is that even available? Yeah, we call it owner stays and we announced it middle of last year. And all our investors can stay in any of our properties, regardless of which fund it's in, right? As long as it's owned by us on an unlimited amount of time. And they save 10 to 30% off. The only difference, because it is an investment first, is the book direct. So instead of going through Airbnb, where there's a platform fee to the guest and a platform fee to the host, an automatic 10 to 30% savings, depending on when, how, and what you're booking, right? So as an investor, you can go stay in it. It contributes to the investment. We get the same net income we would have gotten, whether it was you or Joe Blow off the street. 
but you're going to take care of it probably a little bit better. You're also going to enjoy your time there as a user and you're getting utility out of your own investment. So absolutely. Yeah. You're creating your own ecosystem of that, right? Like, yeah, it's a beautiful flywheel. Yeah. Beautiful. Now I've got a good friend, Tim Bratz. You know, Tim? Yep. Yep. Right. So Tim, now I don't know exactly the details of it, but I mean, I love what he did. He bought this big thing up in the mountains and syndicated with some friends. And he's like, all right, you guys get so many weeks for each of his investors. And they all put in money. And I was like, mm-hmm. again, you know, it was just a one-off, one deal thing, but it's an epic place, right? I'm like, dude, it's a multi-million dollar house. And you know, he's crushing it. So I was like, that's a great idea to- Yeah. And they're having fun with it. Yes. And I think that is the beauty of when you do it right is you can have fun with it and you still can make money on it as well. Yep. Agreed. And that's kind of the approach we're trying to take. It's a very fun thing to do for both us, our investors, and our team, right? So it's something that drives us every single day. Hey, would you like to learn more about Kahuna Investments in our deal room? Let's do virtual coffee. Book a 15-minute call with us so we can learn more about your investment goals and how Kahuna Investments can help. Go to kahunainvestments.com forward slash coffee to book your call today. Again, that's kahunainvestments.com forward slash coffee. Let's have some virtual coffee and get to know one another. Yeah, love it, love it. So what does the future look like as far as you guys, what you've done so far has been extraordinary, but where do you see your guys position yourselves in the future? And is there an exit or do you do it till you die? Like, Give us that idea, that concept. Yeah, it's a projected five-year hold every time we launch a new fund. And we launch a new fund typically once a year, right? So it's like a new mini portfolio. And it's a projected five-year hold. If for whatever reason we can't exit within those five years, we'll continue to hold, right? Opportunistically and strategically. One of our biggest advantages is actually our debt structure. So all our debt is fixed for 10 or 30 years. So we are never for sellers, regardless of the market and what's going on. And if the cash on cash continues to be as strong as it's forecasted to be, then there's opportunity to continue to make it a passive income play, right? Depending on what your exit options look like. But we've already had significant interest from institutions and they've made it very clear. None of them want to buy one, right? They're like, I want to buy 500 of them because at that point, it's a scalable thing that we can actually realize some element of actual income. They can deploy real money, right? Yeah. Real money, right? They don't want to deploy a million or two, right? They want to deploy a hundred million or 200 billion, right? Yeah, 50, 100 million, exactly. And so I think that's the likely exit is going to be towards a private equity group or a larger property management firm. When you have it all built up, you can say, okay, you can take the whole thing one whack and they'll pay a premium for it too, by the way. Exactly, because there's no other option on the market with that scale. It's dumb money and it's like, that's how else do they get into the market, right? Correct. And they're looking for yield and stabilized yield. Yeah, they just need stabilized yield. That's all they care about, right? Yep. I always say it's funny. I'm sorry to mean to cut you off, but like I believe this. When you understand Wall Street capital, right? What they want is nice, steady, predictable income. Once you can prove that to them, they will overpay for that because that's just how they are. They want an easy button. And so the goal is for that type of exit is to create an easy button and they'll shine that thing up and they ain't afraid to hit it. Yep. And that's a big thing that we've seen. And also because we're vertically integrated, like we actually believe the problem in this space is traditional property management and traditional owners because there's hyper emotion in the space and lack of decision making. So we actually house all our own data. So when we go exit, we'll easily be able to hand them, well, here's a T60, right? On everything that you need to know and seasonality. And by the way, if you'd like us to continue managing it, maybe that's an option, but if not, Here's an entire infrastructure. It's a business in a box. 
yeah. right? Which is exactly what they want from a safety perspective of their capital to their fiduciaries, right? For other people as well. Yeah. So talking about vertically integrating, and we something we just did this last three months for all our property management, right? And a little bit of a bear to do it, but man, I'm telling you, it is the way, right? Like I'm a Star Wars junkie. Are you watching The Mandalorian, brother? I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> uh, there's a deal where the Mandalorian's like, this is the way. And I'm like, this is the way, right? <laughs> yeah. Once you go to vertically integrate and really watch and control your KPIs and that stuff, it is amazing how much more efficient you get with your systems, your processes. Can you talk about that for a minute? Honestly, Corey, if there's one thing anyone gets out of this podcast, it's this. And I'll just tell you a short story. When we first started, we signed a $25 million contract for someone else to basically be our property management, renovation, project management kind of partner. And they were a top three company in the short-term rental space. And everything went to shit. Their business was not set up to handle the like quite the caliber we were looking for nor could they execute the vision that we had. And probably most importantly, they didn't care because they were being compensated based on top line gross revenue, not bottom line profitability, which is two very different things. Amen. Okay. You just said magic words. I want everybody to hear that for just a minute. I'm going to restate it because this is the number one truth, right? And listen, we all could make arguments. Oh, I don't want to get into the self-management. There's a point in time where you have to. I'm a believer in that now more than ever because of what you just said. All fee-based third-party management companies get paid on top-line revenue, collected income. They do not care about if you're profitable or not. They do not give two craps, right? Yeah, and we saw that wholeheartedly. They just want their fees. Yeah, saw that wholeheartedly, and they're not incentivized, right? And also for us, from an investment perspective, we care a lot about profitability and really a lot less about revenue, right? Because we care about what we're being able to juice out of that property. Yeah. And you got to pay investors. You got to make everybody happy. So it's like we have a fiduciary to make those decisions, push NOI, right? Like we got to grow the income and be tight on our expenses. And we just had an invoice. This is part of like the reason why when we start thinking about why we moved. So we had a guy come in at one of my properties. ACs were down. Three ACs were broken, right? Not really broken, but he goes and puts about three to four pounds of Freon in each unit. And then sends a bill for $7,500, right? Wow. <laughs> okay, three units, three to four pounds of Freon. Like, that's not even close to that. It's insane. <laughs> that should be like a two grand maybe experience, right? Oh, probably a little less. <laughs> yeah, and that's high, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But someone approved that invoice. Mm-hmm. It didn't even show up to us what it was supposed to, that a dollar amount. Someone from my team has to approve it. It never got our approval. It never came to us. Well, you saw it 45 days later when you're looking at books, right? When the books close because it's not in real time. So the biggest blessing we could have ever done was we were forced to build our own operating company to essentially operate our assets. And hindsight's 2020, but looking at the last year that we've had, I don't think I can do it any other way, right? Now that you've been here and you know this and what the differences are, it is definitively, I mean, our cost of management is 70% less and we drive 70% more revenue. I mean, that is a massive elasticity of a band that goes directly towards NOI, cash flows. And we had a fiduciary duty, right? We could have either collapsed, yep. Yep. right? Or 
pivoted and did what we needed to do. And I think that's another great method. It's where the bodies are buried, right? And really, this is the word that I've been talking about a lot is getting fit, making sure like right now during this weird economic, we don't know what's going on, inflation, you got rates. Are we going into recession? It feels like it, right? Understanding, controlling, being fit, watching what's batting down all the hatches, make sure you're very efficient. That is the name of the game. That's how we're going to win in this marketplace because there's a lot of people that are going to lose because they're not watching their numbers. And you brought up a great point earlier. You said control the controllables. And there are things in the world and things in the space that you can't control. You cannot control the cost of debt. You cannot control the rising or decreasing cost of debt or the Fed's decisions. You can, however, control the way you operate, how lean you operate, the things that you focus on and the dials that you turn up or turn down to optimize for something. Every strategy has something, right? For us, we optimize for two things. It's for cash flow because we're an income-focused investment. And we optimize for NOI, for future equity growth, and eventually our IRR, as most listeners would understand it. In other strategies, development, for example, it's a completely different game. You don't care about short-term income. So therefore, your model, your operating structures, the fees, the costs, everything are completely different because you're not optimizing for the same thing. And when you really have that North Star, you really have a beautiful machine that starts to go left to right. Yeah, all things align like there's focus and there's a game plan, right? And everybody understands what that game plan is, right? Love it, love it. So as we get ready to wrap up, man, I've really enjoyed just talking about this industry and it always piques my interest. I'm like, man, maybe I need to buy that house in Hawaii. (laughs) (laughs) You should call up that owner and see you're staying there long enough so you can buy yourself. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you, I will own that house, right? So there's no doubt. (laughs) Always manifest it, Corey. Always manifest it. (laughs) Maybe... This year, next year, five years from now, I will own it, right? I have already told my kids, I'm like, I'll own this house eventually. I will keep wearing that person down until they say yes. (laughs) (laughs) Persistency is a beautiful thing. Yeah. So what books have you been reading? Any books you've been reading lately that's just really um, kind of like, man, that was a good read? Yeah. One of my favorite ones, I was just talking about this the other day, recently has been a book called Traction. I'm butchering the author. I think last name is Wickman. Gino Wickman. There he is, Gina Wickman. We run Traction hard at our office. I love Traction. I reread it. I read it a while ago, but I read it again with a lot more intention after the traction we had in in our first year. And the lessons that come out of that book of really understanding your product and your customer and your growth plan and your whys and your decision making. Yeah, and your people get it, want it, have the capacity to do it, right? Understanding having the right people in the right seats, man. Yep. And that's a huge reason for us where we focus. There's a slide in our deck that I think is probably the most important one. It's like, it says our commitment to performance starts with excellence and hiring the best talent. Right. And it's because we have the best possible talent to operate. And real estate's a people game, right? As much as we build technology and we can do these things and all that, at the end of the day, people drive the bottom line more than anything there is in the space. Yeah. Without a doubt, that's your biggest asset that you have. And you have culture, whether you know it or not, and it could be good or it could be bad. So why not be lead that thought? I love that book. Great book though. For anybody that's thinking about like, I want to scale my business or I want to grow my business, it's really probably almost a must read because it will really help you give you some formality on some of the things you need to think about, right? All great companies have mission, vision, structure, organ chart, knowing what seats you got to have. And 
They also talk about the integrator role, which I think is a big piece of it as well. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. I love that. For people that want to know more about your company and what you guys do, how do they find you? Yeah. So we're online, LinkedIn. We share a lot of our stuff fairly publicly. You can check us out at techfester.com and request a call if you're curious to learn more about the short-term rental asset class or to invest. Everything we do is by invite only and we lead by education. So we want to really walk you through, understand the good, the bad, the pros, the cons, the risks of investing in this asset class. And if it's something that you continuously want to invest in, we'd love to have you. Again, it is a 506C for accredited investors with a $25,000 minimum. But we are here to share and uh, we'd be happy to show off some of these beautiful properties at any time. Yeah. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, I want to thank you for coming on to the podcast. Any last advice that you'd want to give to any of the people that are listening, like or maybe fairly new or any motivational thoughts you can think of? Yeah. I think a big thing for me and something that's always been led to good things in my life has been investing in tailwinds. And whether that's a belief you have or something that's happening in the market. And if you believe that people will be in a rentable society and that people will continue to be more remote and flexible styles, then I think you can't ignore this asset class. Because I think if you consider all the tailwinds, this is exactly where storage was back in the 90s. No one really gave it the love that it arguably deserved. And then companies like Amazon came up and said, hey, buy all this stuff. And then you got to figure out where to put it. Permanent behaviors change investment decisions over a 30-year period. And sometimes they can feel like it's too late. Don't want to be this one. Yeah. Amen. Love that. Guys, listen, another great guest on the podcast. See if I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing and giving us a little bit of insight on the short-term rental product, how you guys are doing it. It's been a great conversation. For everybody listening right now, listen, I say this so many times, but there's more than one way to make money in real estate. It doesn't have to be just one thing. Some of the best operators, I've heard it said, I don't know, you know, you need like seven different streams of income. And you really do. You need to have more than one for sure. And sometimes that's more than just one asset class. Get good at the one that you're doing now. If you don't have one, pick one that excites you, that invigorates you, that you can see it, taste it, and you want to do it every day. And then once you master it, you can go to the next thing. We all have shiny object syndrome, I think. But the truth is, it starts with a belief, right? And see if you believe that you could solve a problem in the marketplace, and then you wholeheartedly went with it, sold out to the idea, and look what you've done. You've done an amazing job. Guys, if you believe it, you can achieve it, and your paradise is possible. Mm-hmm.